Mate, what's going on this week? Welcome to this episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast. My name's Matty Graham, and it is so good to have you here in this week's episode. EPC coach Nick Taylor talks about calories, and I take a look at recovery. What is recovery? What are we trying to recover from, and how can we do it better? Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Welcome along to episode 38 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. I hope your week's off to a good start and your training is going well. Now, after episode 38, I had a lot of questions coming at me about the Ride Strong program that I mentioned uh, in the podcast when we were talking about the strength training question. Now, the Ride Strong program is uh, a strength training program specifically for cyclists. Um, and I've had a lot of people ask me, is it for mountain bikers? Can mountain bikers use it? Can road cyclists use it? What about triathletes, track cyclists? The answer, I guess, is yes, in, in short. It's designed to help develop cyclists' uh, ability on the bike, both directly by increasing the force production of the specific muscle groups involved in cycling, but also indirectly as well in the early training phases by developing a more structurally robust body, evening out some imbalances that often cyclists get, so they're able to train harder on the bike without getting the injuries that often crop up in cyclists and as far as knees, lower backs, aching upper back and shoulders, that sort of thing. If you want to check out Ride Strong, you can get a free inside preview of it. All you've got to do is go over to exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash Ride Strong, and you can get a free preview of that, bit of an inside look, so you can uh, see what it's all about. If you've got any other questions about that, feel free to send them through. What I want to do now is we are going to cross over to EPC coach Nick Taylor and he's going to talk to you about calories. So without further ado, Nick, take us away. Hey team, Nick back here again this week. Please excuse my absence last week from the podcast, uh, but it is certainly good to be back with you. Now today I wanted to carry on what we've been talking about about around nutrition um, and follow on from the last conversation we had around protein and, and the amount of protein we need uh, to look at sort of total calories. Now, total calories is essentially every gram of food that you consume in a day to keep your body going uh, from a normal body function point of view, but also to sustain the exercise that you're putting out. And whether or not you are looking to lose some weight. Uh, you might be looking to gain weight um, or just looking to maintain. Now we note on, on those three different sort of categories a lot of athletes that I come across tend to try and lose weight as they get closer to their race day. Now the best approach would be to work out what your optimal weight would be 
um, and that can be a subjective thing. Uh, we all have a m sort of a number in our mind of what we'd like to weigh, uh, but sometimes that's not actually the, the best number for us. Uh, and a good example of that is, is myself. When I was doing Ironman triathlon ooh, almost 10 years ago now, I was about 75 kgs, 4 or 5% body weight, uh, body fat, sorry, and I was sick all the time, always had a chronic infection. I was training all right, um, and my race went, went well, um, but it wasn't a good weight for me. I, I looked skinny, I looked a little bit sick, and like I said, I was always sick. Um, so scan that forward to, to now, sort of sitting in that kind of 85 bubble, um, and probably up around 15, 16 um, percent body fat, um, and I look a lot better, um, a lot more muscle tone, and I'm not sick. Um, with the exception of, of last week, which is why I wasn't here. Um, I picked up a stomach virus. But there's a, there is always a number in our head, and I think that's a good option to, to talk to someone in the, in the field of nutrition to actually get a proper gauge on where a good number for you is. Um, and it might just take a little bit of trial and error, but most of us know roughly when we're at a good weight, what that weight is for, for training um, and also for racing. But certainly during the race period of, of, tra uh, of the year, is not a great time to be losing weight. Um, you want to be losing weight and getting to that kind of optimal range through your off-season and then looking to maintain through your race uh, or training in-season block and maybe just losing half a kg or a kg closer to race time. Um, the trouble is if you lose too much weight going into race time, you can also lose muscle mass, um, but also your, your fueling is compromised for some of your key training sessions. So how do we work out how many calories we need? Uh, there's a bunch of different online calculators that can be kind of beneficial. Um, some of the apps in terms of the food diet apps are good as well. And it's always just a rough number. Um, most of the time they ask you how many sessions per week you do and how intense they are. And then base that on your body weight and your height. So it's a rough calculation. Um, and no one can, should ever stick to it religiously. It's impossible to a monitor your food religiously down to the nearest gram, um, and also it's impossible to get a, a very good accurate reading on your caloric outputs without being in a in a caloric chamber, as they call them, which is basically a sealed box where you live in, and they collect all the gases that you breathe in and out, and they'll give you a, a basically a pinpoint number. Now, a good place to have a quick look at that is on calculator.net and find the calorie calculator um, or calculator.net forward slash calorie hyphen calculator and then input your details and it'll give you a like I said a rough estimation of what you need so when I look at my details I need approximately 3200 calories per day to maintain my weight and now I know from some of the other stuff I've done that's a pretty much ballpark figure I tend to aim for around the 3000 mark so so that's pretty good now when we look at the makeup of that calorie or caloric intake for the day. Each different macronutrient has a different caloric value. So one gram of carbohydrate provides four calories. One gram of protein provides four calories as well. And one gram of fat provides nine calories. So automatically we can see that a fat uh, gram is a lot more dense than a carbohydrate or protein. Now also probably the most easiest thing to understand from this conversation, and it's the only thing you take away, that a calorie in versus a calorie out is the, the biggest component of weight loss. So if you're consuming 3,000 calories a day and you're outputting 
2,500 calories a day, you're going to put on weight. If you're consuming 3,000 calories a day and outputting 3,500 calories a day, you're going to lose some weight. Um, and if you're consuming about the same as what you are outputting, then you're going to maintain that weight. So it doesn't matter how you make it up, whether you're low carb, high carb, uh, high protein. At the end of the day, that the calories in versus the calories out is still the most important component of uh, weight management. Now, when we take that conversation a little bit further and look at how those macronutrients are split up within that uh, total caloric intake, we look at things called uh, like macronutrient manipulation. So, we remember back to a couple of weeks ago, I said about 1.6 to 1.8 grams of protein per kg of body weight per day is a really good level for an endurance athlete to be maintaining muscle, keeping hormones and keeping the immune system going. So we'll use my example of 3,000 calories a day. If I was consuming 1.8 grams of protein per kg, I'd be consuming approximately 20% of my total calories from protein. Now how I got there was 1.8 grams of protein times 4, because 4 calories per 1 gram of protein. And then I times that by my body weight, and I end up with 576 calories worth of protein for the day. So I divide that by 3,000 and get 20%, or 19.2, but we'll round it up to 20. So often when you will see people prescribe a, a level of fat or carbohydrates, they will look at a percentage for the day. So it tends to be people on the, the low-carb, high-fat, or the ketogenic end of the spectrum will be looking at things like 80% fat um, for total calories. Uh, some of them might go to 60% and obviously you've then got 20% worth of protein. So for someone on a ketogenic diet, if, if I was to be following a ketogenic diet and I was having 20% protein, 80% fat, then I've got no room for carbs. So I'd have to drop my protein values. Um, and so I wouldn't be happy doing that. So I'd have to drop my fat values and, and break it up that way. So it does become a bit of a science. Um, people in the, the lower fat category and consuming a high carb, they might even go as high as 60% carbohydrates, 20% protein, 20% fat. And that would be more of the, the typical historic um, kind of endurance athlete diet um, that we're now starting to see sort of challenged by some of the literature. Um, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. And that's the, I guess, the fantastic part about the nutritional field is there's so many different approaches. Um, at any given stage, one might work for you and then 10 years later it doesn't as your body's starting to change. So I do encourage you to, to have a look at some readings if you can or get in touch with a nutritionist in your region, get in touch with me, get in touch with Maddie, and we can look at some of those, those figures for you just so you have a good understanding of where you need to be. I do want to point out that you can undereat um, and you can undereat quite badly. So if you're trying to lose weight and you say drop your 3,000 calories a day to 2,000. Um, so you're under eating by 1,000 calories a day. Over the course of a couple of weeks, you're going to find that you slow up very quickly um, and that you start to feel pretty crap. Uh, your energy levels are going to plummet. Uh, your hormone levels will plummet eventually too. And you're not going to be able to output what you want to be doing. So when you get into that stage, you can certainly overtrain pretty quickly. Uh, your body's going to become overstressed. Um, and when it becomes overstressed from not eating enough, it basically goes into a starvation mode. And your body thinks, right, I need to store 
the food that I'm putting in. So then next time he decides to starve me, I've got enough reserve resources to cover that. So you'll put on weight. So although you're under eating, your body will start to store fat. And it starts to store fat in that generally in their stomach regions, um, especially for males. And that can be the, the case with what I call the, the overweight endurance athlete. Now I've tried to segue myself quite nicely with framing that up, so hopefully it's flowed all right. But the overweight endurance athlete is a, a phenomenon that is quite dear to my heart because I have probably been in that situation myself a couple of times when I've tried to do events uh, when I haven't been fully prepared. Uh, but also when I stand and watch uh, the start of Ironman uh, and Challenge Wanaka, um, even in Taupo and the likes, um, even some mountain bike endurance races and so forth, there is generally a, a bunch of people that are overweight for what they're trying to do. Now, I do have to point out that I'm not referring to the, the person that's lost 50 kgs to get to the start line and is doing this as a, a goal event um, that they're trying you know they tried to lose some weight they got to their goal weight and they're doing the event so I think that's fantastic um, and that's why the sport is as successful as it is I'm referring to the person that's training 15 20 hours a week um, they're you know racing on the best gear and they're a little bit overweight um, a little bit chubby especially around the stomach like I said um, these tend to be people that have either been overtraining um, they're overstressed in life whether it be from work, from family, um, or from overtrained, which has already been mentioned. Um, and then they're either eating too much or they're not eating enough. And it's really hard to know until obviously you, you sit down and, and look at their diaries, but not eating enough is a huge component of it, or eating too much of the wrong stuff. So it tends to be either really high, high carb and not enough fat that they haven't allowed themselves the, the hormone side of things, or they're starving the body um, from some of those good fats and good proteins. Um, or like I said, they're under-eating for the amount of volume that they're putting out. Um, 15 to 20 hours a week is quite a high volume of training. When you then add you know, 40, 45 hours of work, um, for people with families, you've got families going on as well. So there's a whole whole spectrum on there. I could probably, you know, probably write a book, um, and one day maybe I will. There's a good goal for myself for the year. Um, but but I do think nutrition is a simple thing to get right. Uh, you just need a little bit of helping hand and some a plan, I guess. So we all go out with a plan for our training. We never go out with a plan for our nutrition. So get in touch with someone that can help you get the numbers right, get a spectrum for what that looks like. You may only have a consult with someone. You might get some help for, for two or three weeks, uh, especially in that off-season, just so you're getting your numbers right, you're getting the quantities of food right, and you're getting an idea of how to manipulate things if they're not going right for you. Let's say you have an injury and you need to drop numbers back, um, or you've got a high volume of training coming up, you need to step things up and so forth. So that's where a nutritionist can really help. Just get you in a, a framework where you can basically have the tools to, to manipulate things yourself. Um, and I think a lot of us can benefit from that in our training and in our racing. So that's it from me this week, folks. Uh, if you do have any questions, uh, nutrition or otherwise, that you want to like to throw to me, uh, jump on to the website and record them as the voice questions. Uh, feel free to leave any comments for me, and I will see you guys all next week. Bye.
Well, I hope you learned something uh, about calories and energy intake and how that applies to your training. Like Nick said, if you've got any questions for him, make sure you hit him up um, and, and ask them. So what I want to talk about now is something that is talked a, about a lot in the training world. It's talked about a lot, but I don't often think it's very well understood or practiced very well, and that is recovery. Now, when I mentioned the term recovery, a lot of athletes run for the hills, quite literally, because they think it's going to decrease their performance. They just want to keep smashing out those training sessions, uh, and, and the recovery aspect doesn't really fit into uh, their concept of what training is. Now, before we jump into recovery, I want to talk about the training equation. Now, the training equation is the the nuts and bolts, if you like, the very basics of programming of performance. And it is that improved performance, whatever that may look like in your world, is training stress, the appropriate training stress, plus recovery equals improved performance. So you cannot have improved performance by solely doing the training that's required for that performance. You must couple it with recovery. Now, a lot of people don't really t- take particular, uh, pay particular attention to recovery. It's just something that is, that's hoped that it will happen by default. But if you're really interested in training smarter, uh, addressing the recovery side of the equation is really important as well, as well, rather than just leaving it to chance. So I. I bet that 99% of the people listening to this understand that recovery is important, but you know a lot of people aren't recovering. You know the way that reflects the importantness of 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 recovery. So, what are we actually trying to recover from? Well, during times of recovery, the key things that we're trying to recover from, and this depends on our training, is we're trying to balance out the stress hormones of the body we're trying to get some neuromuscular regeneration so that's the nerves and the muscles and those connections that connect the two we're trying to refuel muscle glycogen so that's the fuel that's in the muscle and then you know obviously there's the repair of muscle tissue which a lot of people understand and think about there's also the production of new cells uh, within the body and new structures within the body such as red blood cells and also, not only the physical side of recovery, but also the mental side of recovery is very, very important too. That recovery time allows the refreshment of the mind. So all of these things require complete recovery to happen. So I just want to talk about two things. I want to talk about complete recovery and active recovery. And then I want to talk about how to integrate this into our training. So complete recovery. Now, complete recovery a lot of people, this is the only recovery they think about when they heard, when they hear the word recovery. Now, complete recovery is laying on the couch, doing nothing. You know, most athletes who are trying to balance work, family, and training don't usually have this luxury. Uh, and the complete recovery aspect of their of their training just becomes in the removal of their training from an already busy day. So if you don't train that day, they're more happily able to get some recovery because they're not trying to juggle that with everything else I've got going on. Now, many people think that 
uh, full-time athletes or professionals, whatever you want to call them, those that have a lot more time, they think they're better or able to train more and harder because they have more time to train. What what I'd say is most people that have a, a nine-to-five job would be able to cram a similar amount of training into their week as some of these full-time athletes, whether it be training in the morning early, training at lunchtime, and then training again in the afternoon. You're probably going to be able to juggle a 40-hour work week with a 40-hour training week, which is often, 40 hours is often, you know, the number that a lot of elite endurance athletes throw around as their peak loading weeks. And, you know, it is a peak loading week for most of them, and often they won't be training that much all the time. But most people would be able to juggle that in terms of the time. So it's not so much that elite athletes have more time for training. They have more time for recovery. Because if you tried to juggle that stuff as well as work, you'd find you'd get one maybe two weeks into it if you are you know very fit and determined and then you will just crash and burn because your body isn't able to recover so having that time elite athletes are able to spend more time recovering without having to you know have that recovery being sitting at the desk at work or driving the truck at work, or whatever your job requires. You see, the body has two branches of the central nervous system. And there's the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, or freeze response. This happens whenever you're in danger, or there's stress on the body. And then there's the parasympathetic nervous system, which I'm pretty sure I've talked about in this podcast before. And this is the rest and digest uh, branch of the central nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is activated whenever the body experiences stress. And whether that's from hard training, or whether that's from a race, or whether that's from a hard, busy day at work, or being up all night with the kids, whatever it might be, the sympathetic nervous system is activated now complete recovery is critical for the body to balance out these two branches of the nervous system and to bring that sympathetic nervous system back under control if you don't have complete recovery your simple sympathetic nervous system stays jacked up adrenaline is high cortisol is high and there are major major stress hormones and it leaves you unbalanced your immune system gets suppressed you don't recover, your performance starts to decrease, and usually you end up sick or injured because of this. So complete recovery is important for integration into your training program. Now, on the other side, there is active recovery. And I think active recovery might be one of those things that is often misinterpreted by a lot of people. Some people have an active recovery session planned on their program um, and three hours later and multiple mountain peaks, they finally think they'll finish their active recovery session that was meant to be 45 minutes long and in zone one. So what is active recovery? Now the term active recovery, I like to think of it as sports-specific training at a low zone one intensity. Now a lot of people think that this easy zone one intensity is a bit of a waste of time, but it is really important as it helps facilitate recovery through increase in blood flow, 
increase in lymphatic drainage. And our lymphatic system is, is handles the sort of overflow from our circulatory system. So all of our blood vessels, they get a bit leaky. When we train hard, they get even leakier. Uh, and our lymphatic system helps return all of that fluid into the into the into the bloodstream. Now the lymphatic system is also really important for our immune system. Um, so by going out and you you will have experienced this if you go out and you've got sore legs, sore, stiff, tight, heavy legs, and you go out for an easy ride or an easy run. You get home and your legs feel better afterwards. Your legs are sore and tight and tired because of that inflammatory response. There's fluid in the muscles that are pushing on your nerves that make them feel sore and tight. By getting out there and doing some easy exercise, the lymphatic system is able to move all of that fluid out of those muscles back into our circulatory system and your legs don't feel as tight afterwards. Hallelujah. So, Active recovery definitely has its place. Also, it helps uh, maintain range of movement, and it's good for a mental recovery. A lot of people, if you're doing, you know, your sport for fun, and I'd 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 hope everyone's doing it for fun on some on some level. If you're doing it for fun, you know, you like getting out and and riding and running and swimming and kayaking and whatever you're whatever you're into. So by getting out and actually doing some of this. It helps your mental recovery as well. So these active recovery sessions, it's it's ideal to incorporate technique drills into these because rather than just going for an easy easy session, why not incorporate some technique? So you you know you're sparking up the neuromuscular session, uh, the neuromuscular system as well. But the the really key part of these active recovery sessions is that you finish them feeling fresh. And wanting to do more. If like 90% of the athletes out there, you you probably train harder than you are meant to during these active recovery sessions. And you'll end up feeling a little bit tired. And you're unable to complete the then more important, higher, not more important, but just as important, higher intensity training sessions later on as they're required to because you've pushed too hard during your active recovery sessions so there we have two forms of recovery active recovery and complete recovery both of these are really really important within a training program now there are other things that i like to call recovery modalities and these are some such things as foam rolling stretching massage water therapy whether that be uh, warm water or cold water in terms of cryotherapy all of these should be included into a training program um, but they don't come under the banner I guess of complete recovery or active recovery arguably they could be called active recovery but I like to call active recovery the sport specific movement so whether that be a cycling for a cyclist running for a runner or you know triathlete whatever you want to do so I like to keep those recovery modalities separate from our active recovery so we've got those two meanings hopefully ingrained complete recovery and active recovery now i want to talk about recovery within a training week i want to talk about recovery days because this is something that i think often gets uh confused now the ideal of recovery days 
within your training is to help facilitate partial recovery. So it's not complete recovery, it's partial recovery. So we've driven ourselves into a bit of a hole with our training and our recovery days allow us some partial recovery to build back up slightly, but not all the way. And then our next training day is going to hammer us down a little bit more. So on recovery days, the idea of these is to help facilitate recovery. And during these days, there should be a combination of complete recovery and some of the integration of those recovery modalities that we just talked about. That was the foam rolling, the stretching, the massage, the water therapy, that sort of thing. Now, normally most athletes would have at least one recovery day per week during a loading phase of their training. What day this is is entirely up to you. I tend to use a Friday for most athletes. So they train hard during the week. They have Friday off, freshen up partially before they have a big training weekend. Or alternatively, um, a lot of athletes seem to use Monday. That works really well as well because you're able to rest up, recharge partially at the start of the week after your big weekend. Some athletes, I will include two recovery days in their loading phases as well. And we'll talk about recovery weeks um, following uh, this, and we'll talk about how many recovery days you may have in a recovery week. So most athletes uh, would have at least one recovery day per week, but those athletes trying to balance a hectic work and family life, you know, these days must just might just be better to be taken completely off. So rather than, you know, someone who's working nine to five, they've got two and a half kids at home, whatever it might be, they're trying to juggle all this stuff, rather than a recovery day that includes, you know, rolling session, some hydrotherapy at the pool, I just say take a complete recovery day because they just need the time. They just need the time to rest up and relax and potentially catch up on other stuff that they haven't been able to do with uh, all the training that they've had going on. So often a complete recovery day is, is a great thing because if you start adding in other things they need to do on their recovery day, it just adds more stress. And remember we talked about stress is stress. Doesn't matter if it's coming from training, from life, or from our recovery modalities that we're trying to squeeze in. However, for those that have time on their recovery days, the time and the energy, I'd suggest a 30 to 45 minute focused recovery session, including some of the recovery modalities that we talked about. And athletes, are, I find that athletes are more able or more likely to complete focused recovery sessions if they have to go somewhere specific to do them. Where's that specific place? Could be the gym, could be the pool, or whatever designated place that might be, whether it be going to the yoga studio or the Pilates studio. But going somewhere, uh, and you know, you've set your timer, started your watch, I'm going to spend 45 minutes stretching and rolling, and commit to it. Because I find if they say, well, I'm going to do it at home, 
it doesn't happen okay it doesn't happen i usually find something else i need to be doing i don't know about you but that's me find something else even things such as washing and dishes take seem to take priority over a stretching session so i if you want to take your recovery seriously i'd suggest make sure you go somewhere specific with the goal in mind that you're going to tick some of these recovery modalities gym hit the mats do some stretching or go to the pool, go hit, hit the spa, do some stretching in the spa, check yourself into a yoga class, whatever it might be, I just find that helps. So, you know, the key thing to remember, I guess, with recovery days is the aim of the recovery day is only to allow partial recovery. So don't be overly concerned if you're not feeling 100% fresh following a recovery day. You're not meant to. That's where the aim, I guess, of recovery weeks come in. Now, a recovery week is all about more complete recovery and the balancing of those stress hormones, allowing the body to to freshen up, dig yourself out of that hole, so to speak. Now, when I mention the term recovery weeks for people that don't have that much experience with uh, my training or I've, I've just started working with, they start to freak out. They were saying, well, this guy's about to tell me to take a complete week off. And this is not the case. And in some cases, I will tell people to take a complete week off. But in most cases, a recovery week is a blend of complete recovery and active recovery, as we outlined earlier on. So what would a recovery week look like? Well, it depends on what period in your training phase you are and in your training age and all of those things but essentially what a, a recovery week is are periods in your training with a decreased training load that incorporate shorter and or less intense training sessions so your training sessions are going to be shorter and they're going to be easier to allow your body to recover and those shorter easier training sessions are active recovery So this is really important to allow your body to physically and arguably more important mentally to recover from your last loading phase. Now recovery weeks, I say weeks in a very loose term, um, they may vary from anywhere from three to nine days, right? And that depends purely on you and the training phase you're in. For some athletes, I like to run uh, a three-day training, uh, three-day recovery block, three to four days uh, every week. So they would have a really hard seven-day block. Then they have three to four days where they freshen up before they get back into another seven-day hard training block. So it's not a two weeks loading, one week recovery, or a three week loading, one week recovery. We're doing seven days hard, three days easy. Or alternatively, if you go for two weeks really hard, and then you may have five days of recovery. So you take the working week, so to speak, Monday through Friday, easy, before cracking back into things over the weekend with some higher training loads. So there's no 100% right or wrong way to do this. You know, the old saying there is there's more than one way to skin a cat is definitely true, but at the end of the day, there's you know one basic way to skin a cat, I guess, uh, and this is what training is always based around: is this concept of training stress 
plus recovery equals improved performance. The one way to skin a cat, the one basic way to skin a cat is apparently my grandfather used to say, is just to pull the skin off it. You know, there's no really two ways about it. But the way uh, to get the skin off and where to start and where to finish, you know, we'll leave that over to you to imagine. But there is just one basic way. Train hard, recover hard, your performance should improve. So hopefully this here has helped you understand recovery a little deeper what we're trying to actually recover from balancing those stress hormones getting that neuromuscular regulation sorted refueling our muscles uh, repairing soft tissue producing you know more structures within the body whether that be red blood cells muscle fibers tendon filaments uh, and also that mental recovery away from the training stress Sometimes in those recovery weeks, I'll have them structured. I'll tell them, I'll tell my athletes that you need to have a complete recovery day this day. You need to have active recovery this long, this hard, on this day, this day, and this day. I want you to do some recovery modalities on this day and this day, and then blah, blah, blah. Other times, what I find is really good is an unstructured recovery week, where I leave the week completely open for them. With the only guidelines is I want you to finish this week feeling fresh and 100% ready to go again. If you are going to get out and train, I want you to keep it short, less than 45 minutes and easy in zone 1 to 2. And then depending on their work schedule, their family life, they are able to have a mental break from the structure of training, but still get some active recovery in and the end goal of finishing the week recovered is still ticked off so there it is i guess that's recovery in a nutshell and i guess the bottom line is if you treat your recovery with as much attention and focus as you do your training i think you'll be quite surprised at how your performance will improve and it's not exactly like you have to go out and do lots of hard work there's no extra hill reps there's no extra interval sessions All you've got to do is make some better decisions and often it just comes down to planning with your recovery and you'll get those benefits from it. So I think we'll wrap up there. So I hope that has been helpful. Please, if you can, it would be greatly appreciated if you like, share and leave a review, whatever platform you're listening on. Um, To make it a little bit easier to share some of these podcasts around, I have started putting out some sound bites on both YouTube and SoundCloud. Now these sound bites are just little uh, excerpts from the podcast that are on a specific topic. This usually are around about five minutes long or so and so then you can maybe send them to your friend that's having a problem you know try doing this so rather than having to listen to the whole podcast they can just listen to those small sound bites please let me know how you are finding these sound bites if there are specific um, episodes or specific topics that you want me uh, to edit and make into sound bites please post a comment below and let me know which ones of those they are and I will do my best to get them sorted for you. I am trying to release a couple of those each week along with the podcast just to make sure there's more content out there. You're getting the content that you're after that you can use to inform your training so you can train harder, 
but most importantly, train smarter. I'll talk to you next week.